Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. As a qualified nutritionist, I'm here to strip away the nonsense and get down to the bare essentials of nutrition and wellness. Join us as we debunk myths, chat with top-notch experts, and serve up practical tips that will leave you feeling empowered. Get ready to uncover the naked truth about living your healthiest life. Let's undress. Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today, I have Rachel Hartley with me. Rachel is a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. She's also the author of Gentle Nutrition, which is incredible. And Rachel's goal is to help people really nurture a healthier relationship with food and improve their well-being with eating habits rooted in nourishment instead of restriction and deprivation, which is just so powerful and obviously aligns very much with what I do and all of the clients that I work with. So I'm so incredibly excited for our chat today and welcome Rachel to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're excited to be here. Yes, I love it. Did you want to start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you have been through to get where you are today? Oh my goodness, sure. <laughs> so um, it's always like, oh, such a big question and where to yeah. start. But um no, so I consider myself someone who was really, you know, privileged around fruit, food growing up. Um, you know, I had parents who really enjoyed food, loved trying new foods. Um, I lived in an area where I was exposed to a lot of different cuisines. Um, also, as someone, I think it's important to, to note that as someone who had a lot of thin privilege, I really didn't get a lot of pressures around food in my body as a child. So I feel very, you know, lucky that I was able to have a healthy relationship with food as a child. Um, I think actually, you know, being a dietitian, as I got older, the, um, that was actually probably where things started to become a little bit more challenging for me. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, our traditional dietetics curriculum, there's a lot of fear mongering around food and health and, you know, certainly being a young woman in this kind of fat phobic culture that we live in. Certainly I was someone who had my own, um, body image stuff um, and certainly had some food stuff, but it was really when I became um, or well started becoming educated as a dietitian that I started feeling like overwhelmed around food, feeling like I needed to, you know, kind of tightly manage the way that I was eating, um, started to become fearful of food. Um, so it's, yeah, kind of a, um, you know, unfortunate thing and something I talk about with a lot of the dietitians that I work with that like our um curriculum can be quite triggering 100 <laughs> percent. i could not agree more i even know with my experience of going through it as well that it is it's it's a lot and because it's all like all that you were consumed by for a period of time it's just constant from every different angle and you do like it's your life becomes revolved around food and what's in food and all of the ingredients and yada yada, yada. like it's it's very very consuming Right, right. And I think like, I think one of the things and I have fully kind of like worked this through in my brain. So mm. um, excuse me for talking and processing at the same time. But I think part of it too, was that there was always something about the dietetics curriculum that very like traditional curriculum that I can look back and sort of be like, Oh, yeah, it was like the fat phobia and like the neglect of human beings as like, 
whole persons and, mm-hmm. you know, looking at food in this very, you know, uh, uh, grams and calories focused way, like I can look back and see, oh yeah, that was the thing that wasn't sitting well with me. But when I was a young dietitian and like going through all my training, I think I thought like, oh, well, maybe it's that like I should be doing like clean eating. They're not teaching us enough about clean eating. And then it was like, oh, well, maybe they're not teaching us enough about this. And so I felt like there was like something off, like my intuition kind of told me like this isn't really a helpful way of approaching food, but instead of, because, you know, unfortunately I didn't have the language for mm-hmm. intuitive eating and, you know, health at every size and these other non-diet approaches, I think I sort of filled in that gap with like this very clean eating, plant-based kind of um, way of, of trying to eat. Yeah. Right. And then because you then have this label and I nutritionists and dietitians, they definitely are seen in this particular light. So then outside of university or college or wherever you are studying, you almost have other people's opinions and views of, oh, well, you're a dietitian, so you're supposed to eat this particular way or a nutritionist or a dietitian wouldn't eat that, would they, you know? And then you start internalizing that as well and feeling like you almost have to uphold this image of what you are learning in the curriculum. So then it flows into or every other area of your life. Yes, yes, there's so much. Um, I, I do a lot of work with my clients around like self identity and how that can play into food and eating, and whether it's like, you know, being labeled as um, getting that objectification around thinness or how, um, you know, for dietitians, like being the quote unquote healthy one. And yeah, when you have that expectation of eating in a certain way, I I found for myself, I either felt this need to be like, you know, to rebel against that and be like, you know, F you, like, I'm gonna like, look at what I can eat. And like, you know, I'm going to do this. And, you know, or like to really comply. And either way, it's not listening to like my actual needs Mm -hmm. in the moment and what, what, you know, what felt good for me. So what was that point for you? Then that made you realize of where you had kind of gotten after your, you'd studied diet, dietetics to then be like, okay, this is actually not how I want to live my life and how I want to view food anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I wish I could say that there was like one sort of like aha moment, but a lot of it came when I started working, you know, I started as a dietitian in more clinical, like inpatient dietetics. And then I moved to a role where I was doing outpatient nutrition counseling at a large medical center. And when I was doing that, you know, working with clients from a very uh, sort of traditional, like calories in, calories out, like mm-hmm. dietetics approach, I started to really see how like, oh yeah, this isn't actually helping them. Um, this is actually like, just not sitting well with me. It's not feeling like I'm helping people have um, a healthier way of relating to food. And that, it, you know, from there is kind of a slow process of just introspection. And of course, too, just learning more about intuitive eating and mindful eating and health at every size and not just like integrating that into my work with clients, but like also reflecting on my own relationship with food and how um, I was feeding myself. So um, definitely a a long process. There was certainly some fence straddling in those um, Mm. early days, but yeah, I I really, you know, look back and I feel a lot of gratitude for um, 
what I now can name as like my intuition and being able to say, yeah, something doesn't feel right. And maybe I didn't know exactly what it was at the time, but just getting curious and, and being willing to learn and grow up. I, I feel really grateful for that. 100% just trusted your gut instinct. And then I would love to know how that transition then went from working in clinical with these people to then, you know, writing a book and actually starting your own business where you do help so many incredible people to now have that intuitive eating approach. Yeah, definitely a lot of, um, it was sort of that that year, like the year before and the year after I started my practice, which was, oh my goodness, I guess eight or nine years ago now wow. that I was doing a lot of diving into intuitive eating and um, transitioning my practice. So I, yeah, when I turned 30, I left my job in that outpatient um, nutrition counseling role and I started my practice. And again, that was, I, I look back and it was definitely a fence straddling kind of phase um, where I was trying to integrate more non-diet approaches, but really didn't have the, the language for it. But um, yeah, I think over time, um, yeah, so much of this work was just sitting with clients and getting curious about their experiences and um, wanting to learn more um, and just better equip myself with the skills to, you know, support them in, in navigating food. Um, yeah. Over time, I really found that like, I love working with clients, but like, I used to think that I didn't want to work with eating disorders when I was a dietetic student, but um, I absolutely love working in that mm. space. I, you know, love working with clients who, you know, have a, a to, to your question about, you know, gentle nutrition and, mm -hmm. and getting into more of the like non-diet approaches to nutrition. I found that one space that I, that was a lot of fun for me was working with that nuance of like medical conditions and intuitive eating. I think a lot of times people feel like, Oh, if I have a food related medical concern, then I just, I can't eat intuitively. That's a, a paradigm that's not um, there for me. And, you know, I really found that that was a space where I could um, integrate this practice in a nuanced way. And it was fun to see when you're talking about gentle nutrition, how just like that whole intuitive eating process can kind of click into place for a lot of people. So um, yeah, so it was with that that I, I really found that was just a fun area within intuitive eating and had the opportunity to write a whole book about it, which is still weird to me. Um, I still like, oh my goodness, there's like a book, like there is an actual legit hold in your hands book that I wrote. But um, yeah, so it was a really fun opportunity to just kind of dive into this area that I am so interested in. I love that. And as you've mentioned a couple of times, like when you first started in this gentle nutrition, intuitive eating realm, you didn't have all of the language necessarily for it all. And so you will have actually witnessed you know, eight years of this development of gentle nutrition and intuitive eating becoming bigger and bigger. And it would have been really interesting. And I'd love to know what it was like when you first started in this kind of area of nutrition, because I feel like it's kind of only recently that there's been a bit of a bigger movement towards other people doing it. And when you started, was it still very much like diet to everything? I mean, they still are in a lot of places, <laughs> but like, you know, they're the sexy things like intuitive eating is just so new. People weren't really 
I guess, interested in it just yet? Absolutely. Yes. I, I think there's been a huge shift. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I first started learning about intuitive eating, it was, I mean, it's already sort of a niche area of nutrition, but it was, oh, you know, I feel like most dietitians, even if they don't practice from a intuitive eating approach, it's at least something that they know about and they might like have some really basic, um, understanding of what it is. I mean, when I first started like reading about intuitive eating, um, even before I was actually integrating it into my practice, like, I think I, like, I think actually one of the reasons that I didn't start integrating it earlier is because I was like, whoa, this is some like wackadoodle stuff here. And like, no one else is talking about intuitive eating. And I don't want to like, like this, sit. this sounds good to me. This sounds like, um, it makes sense, but also nobody else is talking about it. And I didn't want to be the one person, but, you know, again, when you start, um, working with people one-on-one and you're, you're really seeing the harm that's caused by, uh, dieting, I think it's hard to not naturally integrate some of that stuff into your practice. hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely. And so yeah. what would you say are the top three most common, you know, disordered eating behavior myths that you have actually seen or hear of with your experience? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think that's also a big reason why so many dietitians and people don't really know a lot about intuitive eating and non-diet approaches is because of these myths about disordered eating. Um, I think, you know, probably the biggest one, and this encompasses a lot, is that you have to look a certain way to have an Mm -hmm. eating disorder, namely that you are a thin, young white woman who, you know, is emaciated appearance. And that's just not the way that most eating disorders present. Um, People of all genders, um, people of all like races and ethnicities, um, you know, people of all body sizes, uh, they're there is not eating disorders do not have a look and not only that but you even if someone doesn't fit that criteria for like a diagnosable eating disorder you know if food is impacting your quality of life if it's something that is stressing you out then you deserve support it doesn't have to have like a name or a clear diagnosis around it so i think that is um by far and beyond like the biggest eating disorder myth out there <laughs> oh my goodness i could not agree more and i just think that when it comes to people's relationships with food it is such a taboo topic and i think there needs to be space created for everyone and anyone to be able to talk about it you know when you're sitting down with people and your close friends it's so common for you to ask how they are but the question is never asked of how like how are you around food at the moment or how's your relationship with food and so so many people are actually struggling in silence and nobody else will ever know because you know you almost put on this this mask and this front of when you're in and around other people and it's behind the closed closed doors that everything is starting to play out and you're right because there's this stigma of you have to look a certain way to then be diagnosed or for people to pick up on things just too many people are just struggling with food in silence Absolutely. And I would add to that, but, you know, it's, 
the way that we talk about disordered eating, like mm. it's so normalized that oftentimes people will like joke about dieting or joke about like disordered eating behaviors. And it's kind of this like, oh, ha ha ha. Cause like everybody does it. And in, in one sense, like, yes, it's something that, you know, disordered eating, unfortunately is very normal. It's very common. And so like, I, I get where that stems from, but also I, I think there's oftentimes not that I think because it's so common, oftentimes there's not a recognition of like how much harm it can be causing someone, like how much pain can be behind it. Oh, absolutely. I know that when I worked for Weight Watchers for a period of time, the normalization of the disordered eating behaviors and patterns was just insane. Like it was really, really hard to watch and witness and to try and talk so many people to do something different and go against the grain and it's really really hard and disheartening to see then that impacts so many other areas of their life friendships career relationships holidays like then just not actually being able to enjoy their life because their mind is so constantly focused on food and their body weight shape and size yeah totally it's exactly it's kind of like this thing that we almost like accept that we have to do. It's like, oh, well, I don't like dieting. I don't like restricting my food, but like, hey, whatever, this is what we all do in this culture. And um, I guess I just have to suck it up and maybe use some humor to to cope with it. <laughs> there is another way. Yeah. And I always say, if you can't do something for a lifetime, don't do it for a day because how, you know, these diets that you were going on, I guarantee you're probably going around in circles. You're just ending right back to where you started every single time, which means that you were spending your entire life just jumping from thing to thing to thing. And all of that energy that you were constantly putting towards each of these diets, plus like the the impact that you're having on your body and your health with it too. But that energy could literally be used to go out and do so many other incredible things that you actually want to do in your life. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, agreed. So I think it would be important if we actually also touched on some of the signs that somebody doesn't have a good relationship with food as well, because again, like we said, a bit of a taboo topic, a bit of stigma and myths that are based around it. So what are some of the signs that someone doesn't have a good relationship with food? Yeah. um, So I would say the first and most important thing that I look for is if someone is thinking about food all the time, like if they are spending an inordinate amount of time thinking about food, ruminating over food, um, feeling guilty about their food choices, planning out their food choices, that is a big sign to me that, um, that there may not, someone might not have the healthiest relationship with food. Um, First of all, when we're thinking a lot about food, oftentimes that is a sign of hunger. That's a sign that someone is not properly fueled. It's this protective mechanism where if we are under eating, if we're not, you know, getting enough energy, like our brain is going to become more hyper-focused on food. It's kind of a way to, to, you know, get you to feed yourself. It's a, a protective thing, but um, yeah, so, so definitely that, that is a big one. I always tell people like, we want to think enough about food to make sure that we have access to food, that we have access to things that are like easy to put together, that we're you know thinking ahead to make sure that we have some degree of food availability and like you know, tasty foods, satisfying foods, all that good stuff. But 
if we're spending a lot of time thinking about food outside of that, that is like a big disordered eating red flag. So, um, yeah, I would say that I, you know, I really think anytime it feels like food and how you relate to food or behave around food is detracting from your quality of life. Um, you know, again, that is a big red flag as well. If it feels like food is not something that's either a neutral part of your life or a positive part of your life, that's an area where we want to get curious and ask some questions and see what's going on. Mm, yeah. And the body is so much smarter than I think we ever give it credit for. And it is literally designed to try and keep you alive. And in order to keep you alive, it needs adequate fuel and food. And like you said, it's a, literally a protective mechanism for your body to be like, oh, we're not getting enough fuel or we're not getting enough food. I'm going to make you think about food all the time until you actually start giving me enough so that I can function at the optimal level that is needed, which I think is so powerful. And like when it comes to food and that positive or neutral relationship and thought process around it, you're not meant to go through every day overanalyzing every food choice that you have made. You're not meant to go out and come back and feel guilty or have self-criticism or put yourself down for eating food. And a lot of the things that I always say to my clients is food and guilt should never even be in the same sentence together. You should feel guilty for robbing a bank, burning a house down, you know, upsetting a friend. What you should never feel guilty for is eating food. Like it just, it does not make sense as to why those two words should be together. It makes sense as to where we've kind of developed the idea from, but it's so important to unlearn that kind of attachment that we have given to food. Right. Absolutely. You know, we have so much guilt and shame attached to food and yet it's this like biological need. Um, you think about like feeling guilty for breathing or feeling guilty for having to like go to the bathroom. <laughs> like it starts to feel a little bit silly when you think of it that way. But again, our, our need for adequate energy is just a basic biological fact. And it's, it's sad that there is so much you know, shame that's, that's wrapped up in feeding yourself. So, um, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. And I know for me personally, in my history with food and when I, I have been through a period where I was under fueling and, you know, it, it really did impact so many areas of my life. Like I was constantly fatigued. The brain fog that I had was just insane. Like I couldn't concentrate for long periods of time. I was so moody. Like my moods were up and down. Like it just, it really ripples into more than just food. You know, it stops you from going to social occasions. It stops you from being present when you are with people. Because if you go out for dinner, you are thinking about food all day long before you go out. You're probably overanalyzing the menu. You sit down there, you're so hungry that all you can think about is food. So you can't engage in the conversation properly. Then you order the food, you've probably chosen something that you don't 100% like truly mentally want. You've gone with what you think is, and I do this in quotations, like the good option. And then you spend the entire time waiting for your food to come out. You then like still probably can't engage properly in the conversation, eat the food. If it wasn't mentally satisfying, you might then go and overeat on something later in the day or you're sitting there envious of what other people are eating and you just you haven't had the most enjoyable experience of, of eating out. And for me, that was probably one of the biggest like day and night experiences that I had of when I went out with people. It was like, whoa, now that I have a good relationship with food like it's just laughter you're not even like you know the waitresses would constantly come over and be like you ready to take your order back like, oh like haven't even looked yet like haven't even thought about it because you're just so into the conversation and 
you the quality of life that you get back when you heal your relationship with food is just incredible I love that example absolutely it just um opens up opens up so much headspace to focus on other areas of life. And I you know for myself, my relationships and just social experiences, that was one of the real gifts of, of having a healthier relationship with food. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that we've touched on intuitive eating and I think intuitive eating is definitely the words that are thrown around a lot, but gentle nutrition, I feel like as qualified nutritionists and dietitians, you know what it is. But as the general public, it might be a little bit of a, a new thing that they're starting to learn about. So I would love for you to explain to us what gentle nutrition actually is. Absolutely. So for context, uh, gentle nutrition is the last principle of intuitive eating. So for anyone who hasn't read the intuitive eating book, it goes through 10 different principles of intuitive eating and honor your health with gentle nutrition is the last one. And I actually like to really focus on it because I found, even though it makes a lot of sense for gentle nutrition to be the last thing in the book, I find that a lot of times people would almost treated as this, like, I don't know, like it was this like surprise at the end of, um, you know, intuitive eating or like, oh, gentle nutrition is your, um, you know, that's what you've earned um, by, by, you know, passing the first nine principles. Like it, there was a lot of mystery set mm-hmm. around it. So I, you know, one of the reasons that I got into talking about gentle nutrition is I find that nutrition is this really individual nuanced topic. And as dietitians, we can feel a bit um, anxious about speaking to large audiences around it because we know that, you know, what applies to one person doesn't always apply to everybody else. So all that to say for the context around gentle nutrition, I like to define it as nutrition with a focus on well-being rather than weight loss. So obviously dieting um, restriction, that is a focus on controlling one's body size, you know, with gentle nutrition for using nutrition to improve someone's health and well-being and their, their quality of life, not control their body size. Um, Some other factors that I'd like to point out around gentle nutrition. One is that it is focused on the big picture. So dieting tends to focus on each individual meal or snack or individual foods. While with gentle nutrition, we zoom out and look at patterns of eating over longer periods of time. Like it doesn't matter to me, like what someone had for breakfast, unless someone feels like it really like, you know, that that's really important for them. Like what I care about from a nutrition standpoint is like, what are your patterns in the the long run? Um, Other things I I mentioned about gentle nutrition is that it's flexible. So gentle nutrition should be able to accommodate life and your social plans and all the ups and downs of it. I, I shared with a lot of my clients recently, like, we are getting our kitchen renovated right now. I do not have a kitchen. Gentle nutrition looks very different for me as I feed myself using like a microwave, an instant pot and a air fryer that are set up in my dining room. So, you know, gentle nutrition is something that can accommodate these different seasons of life or just the, you know, the the things like home renovations or all those other fun things that might throw you off. 
Um, gentle nutrition, it's also individualized. So it cares about what one person's unique food needs are. It can adapt to that. It's not like this one size fits all um, rules for feeding yourself. Um, and lastly, I like to say that gentle nutrition focuses in on positive nutrition, meaning that we're adding things in rather than subtracting. Um, that doesn't mean that like there's never a space for reducing intake of something. And, and when I say that, like I, I say that in a very um, like nuanced kind of cautious mm -hmm. way, but just in general, we're focusing in on adding nuance or adding nuance. Well, yes, adding nuance and adding nutrition in, yeah. <laughs> adding nutrients, adding foods in, not subtracting foods or food groups. <laughs> yes, I think it's all so powerful. One meal, it doesn't make or break anything. And, you know, even when you put into perspective of you, you don't suddenly get all of these nutrients into your body by eating one salad, right? Like you don't, and it goes both ways. It's about what you do over time and the habits that you have, but also the behaviors that you have around food as well. You know, if you eat in a certain way Monday to Friday, but then the weekends is completely different because you felt deprived all week, you know, it, it's important to look into all of those type of things. And I love how you touched on the seasons of life and how things are going to change and things need to be flexible. And, you know, for me, I've moved from Australia to Bali and I went from cooking most of my meals all the time to now, like, it doesn't really make sense the, to buy ingredients is almost costs the same to eat out. And then the cooking, you know, infrastructure is not as what I had in Australia. So eating out, like it's, I've been out more now living here than I ever have in my entire life before, but it's flexible, right? Like it's just about, it's an extension of your life and it's about being, this is what it is. Like, let's enjoy the moments that we're in. Let's embrace the season that this is. And you know that things might not be forever and that things are probably gonna change again and it's actually okay. And when you kind of let that go and you don't let it stress you out, you don't have any negative association with that, it just, it allows you to then focus on everything else that you want to focus on and actually just enjoy the food that you get to have. And for me, like enjoy the fact that at the moment, like I don't have to cook and do dishes all the time, which, you know, is great. So I just love that you touch on that and the adding in rather than subtracting. Our mind doesn't process negatives properly. So if you can always just focus on looking at how you can get more of those nutrients in like an extra serve of veggies an extra serve of fruit you know you naturally start to shift in in ways that make you individually feel really good and energized yeah i love that um i love what you're sharing about uh going out to eat instead of <laughs> cooking right now because i i was thinking to myself yeah it's actually been really fun yeah. like i love cooking and i will be so excited in two weeks when we have like countertops and a functional yeah. kitchen and like you know not lots of random men um walking around <laughs> our house all day long like i will be very very excited for that but it's also been really fun to just experiment with new foods and like try different takeout places and even just like finding new frozen things that we love. Like yeah. my husband and I were just talking about, we are obsessed with, there's this like DiGiorno, like croissant pizza. And I'm like, no. I, when he picked it out, I was like, that sounds awful. Like, absolutely. Like I love croissants, but I was like, I don't know, like this sounds like weird. And I'm like, this is great. This is absolutely fantastic. So, you know, it's just like fun things that you wouldn't have a chance to, to try. Um, but yeah, again, it's like all about that, that flexibility. Like have I probably over the past couple of months, we've been doing our kitchen. Like, yeah, I've, 
definitely had less fruits and vegetables than I normally do, but like, it's not because it's not this all or nothing kind of thing. You know, I didn't go into it. Like if this was in the past, when I was in a more disordered relationship with food, I'm a thousand percent positive. I would have been like, well, F it. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, can't eat in my very controlled way. So I'm going to like, you know, just eat, like I'm going to backlash eat through these like next couple of months. And, And so it's, it's actually allowed for me to like, not just be more flexible, but actually to, um, feed myself in a way that feels pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. And there's no, I'll get back on track, you know, where my kitchen is built. And this to me highlights, you know, especially when people go away on holidays and things like that, and they, they don't have that good relationship with food. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to be really good again in quotations, like leading up to the holiday. Mm -hmm. Then the holiday is just like that all or nothing mentality. And it's like, it's okay. I'll get back on track once I'm back. Whereas when you have that food freedom and that intuitive eating, that gentle nutrition approach to everything, it's more about this holiday or this trip away is an extension of my life and sure like you might go back to your routine when you get back but there is no resetting refreshing getting back on track it's just you living your life yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah I think um the other thing that's just standing out to me about Mm. gentle nutrition as we're, we're talking is that I know oftentimes people hear about gentle nutrition and, you know, the idea of making peace with food and that, you know, there's no good or bad foods. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. But like, there are some foods that are unhealthy, right? And it's, it's kind of this like, you know, built in assumption in how we approach food. And so I, I, one thing I like to stress to people, if they're hearing this and feeling like, yeah, no, like, I don't know how I buy this. Like there's gotta be like foods that are unhealthy that we should avoid. But the reality is like, does labeling it, like, even if there was a food that was certified, trademarked, unhealthy, whatever, does labeling it that way, does that actually help you relate to it in a healthier way? So, you know, like, yeah, there are some foods that have more nutrients than others. And like, you know, and and there's also foods that regardless of nutrient, like vitamin, mineral, fiber content just may serve um, different roles for us or different purposes. But again, when we put things into a bucket of like, this is healthy, this is unhealthy, that impacts how we behave around those foods. And that impacts our ability to actually eat a food in a way that feels good. Mm. Oh, yeah, I could not agree more. And it's, it's so important that you like take those foods down off the pedestal and you eat in a way and you will learn like when you actually stop relying on external sources to tell you when you're hungry, when you're not, what to eat, what not to eat, your body will give you all of the signs that needs. Like, you know, when I go through periods of of eating lots of foods that maybe don't have as many vegetables as what I normally would have, my body will literally crave, you know, a, a stir fry. And so like, your body tells you what it wants when you take the time to relearn and, and listen to it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. One of the biggest things that I hear a lot of the time when it comes to intuitive eating is people thinking that they can't do it because they're like, well, if I let that chocolate back into the house, I'm going to have absolutely no control over it. Like there's no way intuitive eating will work for me. Do you, I would love to know, and I've also heard a few comments thrown around about intuitive eating being another diet in disguise. I would love for you to touch on this and 
kind of break that down and also can anyone actually be an intuitive eater? Yeah, um, I've certainly heard those things as well. So the first thing you brought up about, like, if I allow myself to bring that food in the house, then I'm just going to eat it all the time. You know, we've got pretty good research on this, um, especially in binge eating disorder treatment. But the reality is like, yeah, probably in the short run, it is certainly possible that, you know, you are going to eat that food in a way that feels kind of out of control. Um, Of course, you haven't had a chance by by restricting a food, by, by limiting it, you really haven't had a chance to actually like build skills competently eating it. It's kind of like the, you know, I don't know, like a chocolate bar that you mentioned, you know, it's like, you can't learn how to do something by thinking about it. You have to actually allow yourself to like engage with it. It's like trying to learn how to ride a bike by like reading a book about riding a bike. Like you have to actually hop on said bike and in order to mm. engage with chocolate or whatever off limits food in a healthier way, you have to actually be able to like engage with that food. So I, I think it's really important to know that similar to someone hopping on a bike for the first time, like they're going to fall off. And like some people might naturally um, be more skilled at riding a bike. They might pick it up very quickly. Other people might struggle a bit more. It's the same thing with intuitive eating and making peace with foods. Some people have a longer honeymoon phase and other people like it's a shorter thing. That doesn't mean you're doing it right or wrong. It's just different people and their their different experiences um, with food and their different histories with food. So, um, so yeah, so I think that that was like the first one you mentioned. Um, the other kind of misconception about intuitive eating is the idea that it's another diet in disguise. And I guess like when I hear that, I always think like, well, yeah, I mean, it could be used at one. That doesn't mean that that's what it's supposed to be or what it was created for. Uh, It's really easy for diet mentality to uh, sneak into intuitive eating and for us to kind of approach it in this like right? Am I doing it right? Or am I doing Mm. it wrong kind of way? And obviously, because we, you know, I think most people like want to have a healthy relationship with food, and we live in a pretty fat phobic world. So a lot of people also like want to lose weight. And so oftentimes people will, uh, will go into intuitive eating and, and try to use it as this tool for like, and maybe I'll lose weight. And I, I have a lot of like, you know, empathy. I don't think that that's like doing, you know, quote, doing intuitive eating wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's a really natural desire in the culture that we live in. And um, can we be cautious about not letting that desire impact how we're integrating these intuitive eating principles? Um, It's not like a black or white thing or like a button you can just kind of turn off. But can we just be mindful of like, okay, when is that desire for weight loss? When is that influencing my food choices? And like, what happens when I let it take the driver's seat instead of like, you know, relegating it to the the back seat or the trunk of the car. So, so yeah. Mm, so it's like staying curious about the behaviors that you're actually bringing into intuitive eating and the thought processes that you're having around the principles as you go throughout it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I, I say all that because I 
think oftentimes people have this belief that they can't, um, like if they want to, to lose weight, then like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I can't practice intuitive eating. And mm-hmm. I always say like, you know, if you didn't want to lose weight, you'd already probably be a pretty intuitive eater. Pretty much everyone going into this process has some desire for weight loss or weight control. And so to say that like, hey, here's this desire that you have to like give up entirely, like, I don't know, that just feels like that makes the process quite inaccessible, especially for people who are in bigger bodies and are getting that dealing, not just with like body image concerns, but also like societal pressures to lose weight. So I I think there's a lot of like, we have to create a lot of space and into, and and this, again, this is where there's so much nuance in this and, and having that like one-on-one support, but you know, we have to create space for like, yeah, like there are times where you might unintentionally utilize principles of intuitive eating for weight control purposes, because you're a human being and you, you know, want the the acceptance and then, you know, perhaps social capital that comes within this. And um, can we just kind of get curious about it and maybe notice that non-judgmentally and, and learn in the future from that experience? I love that. I think that's so incredibly powerful. And if somebody is listening to this episode and they are just resonating with, with it all, and like this sounds incredible, I would love to take back that control of a food and have that freedom back in my life. Where would you suggest that they actually start with this journey? Mm, yeah, you know, I would say start like wherever you feel comfortable starting. I don't know that there is a one right step mm-hmm. for, for everybody, but maybe thinking about like, hey, what's a space that I feel comfortable actually making a change or that I, I feel like a bit of openness to adjusting? Um, maybe another way of thinking about that is, you know, what's a change that I can make? What's a a step that I can take towards intuitive eating that maybe makes me uncomfortable, but isn't like panic attack inducing. So, you know, what is an area where like you want to get out of the comfort zone, but we also don't want to like, you know, dive into the deep end and and feel totally overwhelmed. I, I think it's important for those first steps with intuitive eating to be things that you know, kind of set you up for, for feeling good or feeling some degree of success, not like setting yourself up for failure, or not really failure because you can't fail at, at intuitive eating, but really like feelings of failure. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I say, start wherever you feel comfortable starting. <laughs> yes. I love that. And I think it's important to note that if you come from a background of dieting, intuitive eating and going through that journey of becoming an intuitive eater, it's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel a little bit different to everything that you've done before. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. Like if you keep going around in this cycle of trying the new diet and the new diet and the new diet, and you feel like you're just always getting the same result, it's because you're still doing the same thing and expecting something different. Whereas if you actually want a different outcome, you have to take a completely different path to get there. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, and as we're, we're talking about it, you know, uh, when I work with clients, oftentimes those first steps towards intuitive eating look like, you know, what does it look like to feed your body adequately throughout the day? Because, you know, when we're hungry, that can interfere with our ability to engage with these other principles of intuitive eating. So 
oftentimes like, you know, it's hard to say what that first step is, but I, I think oftentimes it looks like making sure you're adequately fed. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now I have some quick fire questions for you. Are you ready for these? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the first one is what is one thing that you must do every day to set your day up? I have to look at my planner. Like I am very old school with my like written planner. I cannot do like a, like a, a, a computer, like an online calendar. Like I have to write things down. So like, I literally, as soon as I get up, like I brush my teeth and then I immediately have to look at my planner and figure out what my day looks mm -hmm. like. It's the one I'm a very like type B, like not super kind of organized person. And that is the one thing that I'm looking at my matching highlighters that I use to like organize it's like the one thing I have to have under control <laughs> I love it that's amazing what is one thing that everyone can do every day to improve their life <laughs> I would say um look at a so I have a Bernice mountain dog named Rose Fern and she is the cutest thing in the world so I would say pet a dog unless you're <laughs> allergic or afraid of dogs or look at a picture of a puppy um that is my totally yeah <laughs> totally um, selfish one <laughs> I think that's so funny that you said moving to Bali like there's so many stray dogs around us and when you go out in the mornings it's like some of them are so cute and so friendly but you're always like are you going to bite me or are you going to be like really cute and friendly yes oh my goodness I love that <laughs> what is your favorite quote and why oh my goodness okay so um I realize I I know these were questions that you sent in, mm. sent in advance and I forgot to look at it. And now I'm blanking on quotes that I like. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know. What is my favorite quote? Um, I can think of zero that I, I'm not a quote person. That's okay. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry to fail. No. <laughs> Failed on that front. You are all good. There is one question that I do love to ask all my podcast guests. And this is that in the distant future, when you are looking back at your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or one thing that you will be most proud of? And now this might be something that you've actually already achieved, or it could be something that you are hoping to achieve in the future. Yeah, I think the thing that I feel like most proud of is just like my relationships and, mm. um, you know, my friendships. I I've been thinking about this a lot because my husband and I, we moved to Boston from um, South Carolina, which I realize if a lot of your, like, if you don't have a lot of U.S. listeners, they're probably like, wait, what, South Carolina? <laughs> but basically, like, from the way south to the way north in the States. And um, I feel so proud of, like, the relationships that we've built in just a short mm. period of time and just, like, the friendships that I have in my life. I feel really proud of what I've been able to nurture. Um, yeah, that that's, that's, yeah, that would I be it for incredible. sure. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, did you want to tell the audience if you have anything coming up that's exciting for them and where can the listeners actually go to find you? Yeah. So I have zero things coming up that are exciting, but hopefully there's always some degree of like fun, exciting things going on. If you find me on Instagram, I'm at Rachel Hartley RD and Rachel is spelled A-E-L. Um, I also regularly share like just some blogs about intuitive eating. Um, so you can find me at rachelhartleynutrition.com. And um, yeah, so those are probably the two places where I'm the most active. Uh, you can 
can always sign up for my newsletter and just kind of stay updated if there are any fun things coming up for me in the future. But right now I'm just kind of coasting, working with my clients and, and you know, trying to find that elusive, like some degree of work-life balance. <laughs> yes, uh, I love it. And I will put all of the links to everything in the show notes for easy access for the listeners. But thank you so much for coming on to my podcast today and just sharing everything that you have. I know that there will be so many people walking away from this episode, feeling inspired to continue to work on their own relationship with food. I certainly hope so. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Naked Wellness Podcast. If you currently know somebody who is struggling with their relationship with food, I would love for you to share this episode with them. I would also love to connect with you as always. Just head over to my Instagram, which is KJ Wellness with three S's and send me a DM. But I hope you enjoy the rest of the day or the night whenever you're listening to this episode. And I will chat with you in the next one very soon. Bye.